Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Claudio Murgan, the host of the Spiritual Inspired Podcast, and uh, my guest today is Tom T. Moore. Tom is a native of Texas, and his life experience is so extensive that it was not easy to select the most significant events pertaining to the interview. Tom has been uh, president and CEO of his own international motion picture and TV program distribution for over 20 years. During this time, he has co-executive produced several movies and TV shows and has traveled extensively as part of his business duties. Mr. Moore graduated with a BA in business administration from Texas Christian University and served in the U.S. Army as a first lieutenant. He has been requesting benevolent outcomes for 13 years and has been a keen knowledge of how they can be used both in business affairs and in one's personal life resulting in a more gentle, less stressful life. Tom is a monthly columnist for the Sedona Journal of Emergence and author of five books. Tom, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me today. Six. Now. Six. <laughs> oh, great. Yes. Um, Tom, um, for you, becoming more aware of the, the spiritual realm uh, started in 1979 when you began um, writing down your dreams. And mm -hmm. after that, there were too many events that took place to consider them um, coincidences. Was that a major event in your life to realize that there is more than just uh, the physical world? Because I... Uh, uh, I had read an, uh, an article in the Dallas Morning News by an astrologer whose hobby was the Dallas Cowboys. And um, he said, well, they're not going to the Super Bowl this year, but they're going to go next year. And I'd never read a prediction like that. So I tore the article out, stuck it in my desk. At the end of the football season, uh, he was right on about 80% of the reasons he gave. And so a year in advance, I... Uh, I uh, ordered or reserved 300 airline seats down to Miami. And uh, at that time, I owned a small tour company. And sure enough, they went to the Super Bowl uh, the next year and uh, made enough money to open my own travel agency, buy a duplex, um, you know, really kind of kind of stepped up in uh, in the in the tour business, and eventually, uh, uh, by the time we sold that business, we had three thousand travel agents selling our tours um, nationwide. So um, uh, that was a major event, and, um, and and then along came recording my dreams in '79, and my wife and I were supposed to have gone to Manila for a World Congress of travel agents. And um, I had a, a very detailed dream of an explosion with a woman and some men involved. And so it was so vivid that we canceled Manila, added days on to Taipei and Hong Kong. And sure enough, on the first day of the, uh, of the Congress, um, terrorists blew up a bomb in the front of the hall and they arrested a lady and four men uh, that were terrorists. So after that, I said, I'm going to record my dreams from now on. Now, one of the side benefits of recording your dreams is that you get used to that, that 
time period when you're waking up from a deep sleep and you're remembering a dream and you're writing it down. Okay. Because that's, that's where you like to be when you meditate and do these, what I call active meditations um, where, where you put yourself into a light altered state and then start communicating with your own guardian angel, uh, Gaia, soul, the earth, uh, and, and many, many, many others that I've communicated with along the way. So that's, that's, uh, is one of the benefits of recording your dreams. You get used to that area of in between of sleep and consciousness. Yes. And, um, for my from my own uh, experience, um, I have to do it right after I wake up because otherwise, if I do it, let's say 15, 20 minutes later, I um, forget a lot of uh, details, which in the dream are very vivid and very um, yes. again detailed. And I don't and, know and if it, yeah, it can't be as little as two minutes. <laughs> if yes. I if I have like three dreams to write down, and suddenly I say, oh, what was that first dream? You know, so. Uh, yes, you gotta. You need to write them down, or you know, keep a pen light and a notebook uh, next to to your bed, and um, uh, you can you can get up in the middle of the night for for those of your listeners who uh, who have partners, so you won't disturb them. You go go to the bathroom and and sit and and write down the dream before you forget it. Yes, and sometimes they don't make any sense, but you still have to write them down. And sometimes I don't have words for, for the dream. So I have to be um, inventive with my words. Just sketch something, and maybe later on I'll, I'll uh, remember uh, more details. But sometimes, honestly, I don't have words for what I dreamt. Yes, yeah, very, very, very difficult to express in words uh, because... I've been told that during dream, dream time, we're directed across the universe to places where we help solve problems, either for someone in their dream state or in their meditation, or sometimes, you know, they're, they're awake and somehow we come to them and we help them solve a problem. We, we are known, the explorer race is what we're called, we're known as the great problem solvers of the universe. And um, that's that's one of our jobs in Dreamtime is to help people solve problems. I've been told that, that we actually um, will solve more problems or make more decisions in one day than many societies do in a year. Wow. Do you think that anything wrong can happen to us uh, while dreaming? Or no. the dream state? I've never... Never had it. Um, I, I, I've even at times, um, you know, because I teach the gentle way to people, uh, you know, in the middle of a dream, I'll say, I request the most benevolent outcome for whatever it is. Thank you. And uh, and I've had lots of, of the readers of my weekly free newsletter uh, write to me and say, I requested an MBO in the middle of my dream. So it. It, it does uh, affect you benevolently. Good. So we put that concern to, to rest. Thank you. Yeah. So, Tom, in uh, 2005, you attended a seminar in uh, Sedona with uh, Dick uh, Sutpen. 
um, that was designed to increase uh, one's psychic uh, senses. So does this type of seminars really work? Um, it, it all depends on your desire. Now, in my particular case, um, my I, I had been to a, a couple of, of Richard Sutphin's, Dick Sutphin, S-U-T-P-H-E-N for people wanting to know his name. Uh, I had been to a couple of his his seminars before, and um, uh, but I, I was allowing my wife her own path. You know, you can't force people. You know, that's that's not good. So she said, you know, I want to go to that. Uh, I'd like to go. And I said, well, okay. I, I, thinking that I would just be supporting her, I didn't think I'd get much out of it. But for the last two or three years before that, I had channeled for me. Uh, uh, the uh, a Indian shaman uh, living in the 1600s by the name of Reveals the Mysteries. And, and so I asked Reveals the Mysteries, is my uh, sole contract to help this person who, whose name was uh, Robert Shapiro, uh, who had channeled for me, uh, to assist him in his work and I was told, no, that is not your sole contract. And I thought that was very strange. And and so, you know, we we go along and at this seminar, uh, Richard was having different things that he wanted you to try and improve on. And one of them was automatic writing. So uh, he was putting us into this altered state. And instead of trying to do automatic writing, I thought I said, well, I'm going to see if I can communicate with Reveals the Mysteries. And so I said, Reveals the Mysteries, are you there? And he said, yes, I am, Tom. I said, oh, wow, that's great. And so I, I asked him, why was I the one pushing people to, to request benevolent outcomes in their lives? And he said, Tom, he said, that this dates all the way back to your days uh, during Atlantean times, when you were when you were um, uh, inspired to create the general way, and so this uh, this is how it all started, and that that was twelve thousand seven hundred years ago. So it it related to a past life for me, and for other people, it there will be other reasons, but you have to have that desire. I want to be able to communicate with my own guardian angel, or if you wish, uh, if you want to say, I wish to communicate with God. Um, I prefer creator because creator, the word creator is accepted by all the religions of the world. And otherwise, you know, there's God, there's Allah, there's Vizu. Uh, you, you could go on and on. And everybody says, oh, my God is better than your God. And if you don't believe in my God, uh, you won't go to heaven. And that's not true. Creator, there's only one creator for our universe, just known by many different names. Yes. Yeah, so other people say the God of your understanding. So that covers also uh, every single religion, pretty much. Yeah. And you mentioned the uh, the gentle way. How does this approach um, still applies in today's society? How do you um what's your feeling do you see that people is, are um, 
willing and uh, eager to to implement it? Um, it, it's one of those slow growth things. I've been, I you know, I've been uh, teaching the gentle way uh, since the late nineties, and um, there are thousands of people all over the world that request benevolent outcomes in their lives, and some will do it for a while, and then they'll forget. Uh, and oh, I'll just do it for the important things. But no, you need to do it every day for even the mundane things. So when I left today, um, uh, I, I had to go to two banks. I said, I request the most benevolent outcome for my drive to Chase Bank. I request the most benevolent outcome for getting right in. I request the most benevolent outcome for my drive to the PNC Bank. Request the most benevolent outcome for getting right through. Request the most benevolent outcome for my drive to Kroger's and so on. I, I mean, I have a long list. And the, the farther out you can do these requests, the better the results will be. You know, if you try to say, I'll request the most benevolent outcome for a, a, a space in front of the front door of a restaurant and you wait till a minute before you arrive, don't be expecting great, great things because it probably won't. But if you do it far enough in advance, as, as you arrive, there'll be somebody backing out just just as you arrive. And some people call it their parking angel. But, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. It works. And because you mentioned the uh, the most benevolent um, requests, um, some of them, I'd say especially the, the important ones we might ask for, uh, might come from a need, not of what we, uh, or from a desire, not from what we need. So some might come from the ego, some might come from the soul. Um, are the angels capable of making this difference and act on it? Well, that's why you say, and you say it out loud. Okay, because scientists in the future will discover that the human voice has much more power than we understand at the present time. In fact, uh, going back thousands of years, um, the pyramids were built by by groups of people because they couldn't do it all day. They would they would have this special chant and the chant would raise these huge blocks of stone and they could push them into place. So that's how the pyramids were, were built, by using sound. And we just haven't discovered what that chant is. And when I ask, well, can you tell me what, what that is? No, you have to rediscover it. So there are things that they will not tell me. They, it has to be discovered by ourselves. So, uh, sorry, I, I may have gotten off. Um, repeat the question again. If uh, you said that we have to make these requests out loud, <clears throat> so um, the sound of our voice will maybe let the angels know which request comes from the ego, which one yes. comes from the soul. It, it, it becomes, and you say, I request a most benevolent outcome, okay? Because what you're doing is you're, you're releasing it. If this is benevolent for me, because benevolent outcomes are specifically for you, a benevolent prayer is what you say for other people. And when you say, I request a most benevolent outcome, you're releasing that. If it's on that soul path that you're on, uh, then it will come. And if you request something that's not on the soul path, 
it will not happen. Or maybe there's something a lot better coming along. Maybe you say, oh, I request a most benevolent outcome for, uh, for this to be my mate. And you break up. Well, that's because somebody better is on the way. You just don't know it yet. Yes, indeed. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, the pyramids and the fact that that, that was the technology and the approach they, they were built by uh, lifting the, the stones uh, through sound uh, because not too many people believe in that, uh, that approach. And I think physics demonstrated that at a certain angle, those um, huge uh, stones cannot stay, cannot be pushed up at uh, more than 15 or 20, 25 degrees, they will come back. Um, yeah. So, yes, there is no other explanation for uh, also, such structures. Can you imagine how many million trees, because they, they tried to say, well, let's put them on logs and roll them along. That, you know, it tears up the logs within, you know, just one block, moving one block. So not, doesn't work. But that's the ETs did teach the Egyptians the, the chant, but they put it into effect. Yes, and because we are talking about, you know, technologies and capabilities, in, in my opinion, I have no doubt that as humans, we have capabilities beyond our uh, imagination. So mm. let's talk about the simple ones, you know, telepathy, telekinesis. Um, what holds us back from reaching this type of um, achievements? mostly belief. Now, keep in mind, the pineal gland, right now, the, uh, the scientists have only, um, only know that the pineal gland, which is in the back of your head, um, uh, secretes melatonin. But it actually has a dual purpose. It's, it acts as an antenna for all types of telepathic type thoughts and and actions and whatever and so that's that's uh how it how it acts and uh in in the hindu religion and also um we can say new age or whatever it's called it's called the uh, the crown chakra but it's actually the pineal gland and it's just another word for the pineal gland and that's that's actually what brings all this information into us. Gut feelings, uh, uh, you know, that urge to call your Aunt uh, Mary suddenly and, and you find out there's something wrong or whatever. Uh, all of these uh, types of, of things are, are telepathic in nature. And, uh, and that's where they go, right through the pineal gland. And and they are, are worked on. So, if you want if you want to pursue this, one of the my sole contracts in this life is that I'm supposed to encourage people to meditate and do these active meditations and start uh, communicating on your own. Anybody can do what I what I do. It just takes a lot of practice. I've asked over thirty thousand questions. In a meditative state, and and so it just takes a lot of practice. Now, in my case, uh, I could never have thought of thirty thousand questions. I um, luckily I have this this uh, free newsletter 
which is my gift to the world. And, um, and, and people send in these questions for me to ask in my meditative state. I'm told I'm the only person in the world that does this. And, and so if I were to guess no more than 10% max of the questions I've asked over the years are my questions, the rest are all questions that people send in to me uh, to ask. And they were included, uh, the answers, I mean, uh, were included in your books or you answered to them personally by, by email? Well, okay. Well, three things happen. Um, one is that, uh, of course, after I, I sit at, at the computer I'm at right now and, and I type the answer that I received. Okay. And so then, um, I will have to decide where I can put that in my weekly newsletter because I'm always behind. I'm, I'm typically four or five weeks behind in answering these questions. So they they come they come to me like that, and then um, there I will uh, combine. Let's just say under Atlantis and Lemuria, let's say I ask a question about Atlantis, you know, in 2007. The next year, I ask another couple of questions that pertain to that very same subject uh, of Atlantis. And then two years later, and then three years later, whatever. And eventually, uh, I will have... I will either do it myself or I have someone combined all the questions that pertain to that particular subject on Atlantis or on Lemuria. And that's how the books are, are born. They, they're just compilations of all these free weekly newsletters. Interesting. And from what we know, Atlantis or Atlant yeah, Atlantis went down because of them you know mismanaging certain technologies and uh, <clears throat> this is how it happened do you think that now humanity is at the same phase where by mismanaging technology and human behavior uh, we can go down the same path no i was told that in um, uh, at the harmonic convergence in 1987 we reached a vibrational level where we will never destroy ourselves again. And when I started writing that Atlantis and Lemuria book, I was told, uh, Tom, uh, you've had more lives on during Atlantean times and Lemurian times than any other person on Earth. It's about 180 for Atlantis and 65 for Lemuria. And I asked, why so few in Lemuria? Well, it's because they were a much more gentle society all the way up until the last 1000 years of their existence when they started when the the uh, countries on the continent started warring with each other so that's um you know but no we will we will never destroy ourselves again so in other words consciousness won't allow us to to be destroyed or destroy ourselves as you said perfect that that's good news and right. stay on and the this Ukrainian war will be the very, very, very last one for Europe. Yeah, we all hope so. 
that it's, it's a pointless uh, destruction and loss of yeah. lives. In, in my in my weekly newsletter, I have a, um, a a benevolent prayer that I ask people to say each week um, for you know for ending the fighting in Ukraine. Thank you. And and stay on the subject of uh, past lives. Um, do you remember uh, which one was uh, the most exciting life you you had? Were you given that piece of information? I don't know about the most exciting. I mean, uh, the worst life I ever had. I, I was told that I helped sink the the Lemurian continent. I was a religious leader, um, and and we were warring with a couple of other countries, and so I encouraged the leaders to go ahead and drop a hydrogen type bomb on those two countries and thinking that they had no way to re retaliate, but they did. And it wound up, uh, all this, uh, these bombs wound up sinking the whole continent. And it took me 80 or 85 lives to, uh, uh, to balance that one. So that was my worst life. Now, as far as good lives, um my my sole interest um uh, because i come from a planet in the sirius b star system before volunteering for the earth experiment where where i was a religious leader sort of like a dalai lama kind of guy and throughout all my lives i would always incarnate as as the same religious leader and for that reason and some other reasons, um, uh, I, I I'm allowed to be one of only two or three people um, that uh, have a life at the start of every single major religion. So I was one of Moses' sons. Um, I was Salome or Salome, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, who was one of uh, Jesus's um, uh female disciples and the mother of James and John, I think. And I was one of Muhammad's friends, close friends, advisor to him. So I've been around for all these, these major religions. And I still have two to go, but they are actually in the past. So I will actually have, have lives in the past for the start of those two religions. Hmm. Interesting, very interesting. So that proves the point that um, karma is something, uh, let's say, not tangible, but real at the same time. And we have to, to behave in every single lifetime if we want to, yeah. to go upwards. Yeah. Now, karma, of course, uh, you know, uh, most of the time they use the word balancing. You know, all lives must balance by the time you have your last life on earth. Now, typically, most people have only 600 to 800 lives on earth. And, uh, but I'm already on my thousand and fifth and I have 300 more to go because everybody wants to be me to be their advisor when they're heads of countries. And there's a reason for that, but we can get into that if you want to. But um, um, so that's, uh, but all those lives, have to balance. And each one of those lives have 12 parallel lives on different frequencies. And I have I have a, uh, uh, a whole chapter on 
on parallel lives in each one in the Atlantis and Lemuria book and also the first contact conversations with the with the Nietzsche book. So in these different um, parallel lives, is this the same you and different uh, timelines, different um, um, social uh, positions, or how how do you explain that? Okay. Um, these frequencies are grouped into fours and then subdivided into twos. So timeline 12 is actually non-physical and our souls consider that the perfect life and all the other lives are compared to the to the non-physical life. So I kind of dismissed that one. And, and uh, so the upper timelines have much easier lives than we do. So as an example, the Vietnam War did not happen on the upper timelines. And then you have timelines five, six, seven, and eight. We're timeline six, the middle frequency. Then you have the lower timelines that have the hardest lives. And that's timelines one, two, three, and four. On timelines one and two, I've already died from congestive heart failure. So they're com- they can be completely different lives depending on what, what your soul wants to see happen. And the outcome on um, one frequency doesn't affect the or ha- doesn't have any influence on the outcome on the other ones, correct? Oh, it does. Yes. Most of our inventions start on the upper timelines and come down to the lower, through the lower timelines. So, it, it you know, as an example, um, we're going hopefully this year to see a, a free energy machine released with no uh with no patent okay and um that's um i've been kind of waiting a bit. the first probabilities probabilities are really hard to understand and i'm telling you from this from my standpoint of trying to understand probabilities but the probabilities started last year on this free energy machine and and uh, so we're supposed to finally get it sometime this year and uh, and whoever releases it will do it without a patent as their gift to the world too so it will be a, a major major change because even little villages in africa or or middle east or whatever they'll all have electricity they'll all be able to to uh, see the internet and and learn from it and and take and get their education it's it's going to be a, a great world change i know what i'm so glad you, you like read my mind because one of my questions was about if we are going to see the release of uh, free energy technologies in the next 100 years so you just said this year this is amazing news yes because sometimes I when i talk it comes yeah they, they keep telling me um the 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 probabilities are are there. Just take our word for it. Okay. Yeah, because when I talk to my guests about uh, you know climate change and how can we uh, make some improvements, I always say you have to release. You have to let the government or tell the government to to release the free energy technologies. Then you can destroy all the existing power corridors, re, uh, recycle the metal, and turn all that land into forests into gardens and we will be happier by not having all the power power lines on 
top of our heads. Yes. And and people will be able, supposedly these machines are going to be small enough that every house can have one or even one house can share it with one or two others or something like that. It all depends on the size of the machine that you you build because supposedly they're going to be easy enough for a lot of backyard garage kind of guys to build their own. Yeah, that would be quite uh, quite a feast for for humanity. And because we, you mentioned uh, leaders, have any one of them from any country contact you to for a consultation on how they can better themselves, how they can um, use different uh, methodologies to improve the life of their people? Heavens no. <laughs> they look you know who's this weird guy you know um and you know i just don't worry about it i i know that there are things in my future that um are going to make me no much more known but i can you know I, i'm in no hurry um in some ways i am because I've been told that my family and I are going to uh, to go up to a Syrian mothership and shoot for 14 days. And and it, it was so hard when when my buddy first contact conversations with an ET, when my ET buddy, you know, was talking and, and conversing, and we were going back and forth. And I was about to close off the manuscript for the book and send it to my publisher, um, you know, he, he had kept hinting and hinting, you know, Oh, you know, you're going to, you're going to get to fly in, in my, in my ship, my scout craft. Oh, great. Can I take some photos? You know, <laughs> you know, had no clue, you know, what he was talking about. So finally he knew I was about to send it. And he said, Tom, you and your family are going to come up here and shoot for 14 days, you know, a series of, documentaries so uh, amazing so in this case yeah we'll see does it mean that you don't need any physical preparation for this uh, trip is your body at that frequency that they can beam up or you don't know they they have some kind of little devices that that are really tiny that attach to you and and it it gives you your own it's like your own spacesuit except it's invisible and also it can translate any language or thought or chirp or buzz or whatever in the universe and and so you can uh, on on Antura's spaceship which is 50 50 miles above us it has a crew of 900 from 37 different planets and their families because the fa- they live their whole lives on board the spaceship, so it's fifteen hundred, and um, uh, and they uh, they're taking these millions of readings every day as part of this this Earth experiment with the four negative energies. So so we're supposed to go up and we'll be able to interview bird beings, insect beings, a uh, couple of reptilians. Um, uh, uh, Antura is a amphibian like me. We're we're the same soul group. That's why we have an easy communication 
uh, because we're we're fragments of the same soul. When he has lives on earth, his sole interest is exploration. So he was, as an example, Marco Polo's uncle and traveled the Silk Road before Marco wrote about it. And he was Sacagawea who guided the Lewis and Clark expedition across the top of, of what eventually became the United States. So um, he likes exploration and laying out towns and villages, all the streets, and he likes doing that kind of work. Nice. And Tom, if you need anyone to carry your uh, bag in that trip, <laughs> please sign me up. I've even I even asked if you know we could take our, our two closest friends along because um, uh, the the lady uh, of the couple loves to take tons of photos, and I thought this would be a perfect job for her to take photos all the way. No, it's not on their sole contract. Though. So that's the way it goes. And you know what? I don't think anyone will believe that these photos were were taken at that particular <clears throat> location and you know staying on the technology and the believing uh, subject maybe you you've seen the amazing holograms of uh, dragons or spaceships uh, being released during the um, uh, football games uh, on uh, huge uh, stadiums so mm -hmm. if the extraterrestrial world decide to show themselves up tomorrow are we going to be able to make the difference between these holograms and the real thing? I think so, because people will see things they've never, ever seen before and beings and all. And keep in mind, and I know I'll be asked this eventually in interviews, um, and, uh, because eventually I know we're going to have a minimum of one and probably two theatrical length docu documentaries that will be shown in theaters. Plus we'll have over a hundred episodes where we interview all 39 species of people from the 37 planets, you know, plus uh, one of the things, really neat things I found out is that the ETs of course have been following us and all, all our whole history. So, they have these little tiny uh, drone cameras that are that operate at a frequency just above our ability to see them. And so they've been around for all the major events of our whole history. And so which ones do I choose? Well, I've been making a shot list, you know, of which ones I'd like I'd like to see. And of course, it'll be all the major religions, but that's going to be extremely controversial uh, because none of them are what <laughs> shall we say their leaders make make them out to be there it uh, I'm, I'm going to hold off and showing that footage as long as possible <laughs> it's going to be really upsetting yeah it's going to be a psychological shock for uh, billions of people not millions billions and um, yeah. this is when we have to, you know, turn inside and believe in ourselves, love ourselves, um, and see the results, and then look at the world with a different eye. With a completely different eye. And I'm actually told that um, that all of this, these episodes and things that I'll be doing, will be 
even more so for future generations because the generations now have been so, um, how do you say? Altered, uh, indoctrinated. Yes, that they're going to resist what actually happened. And, but it'll be the next generation or the generation after that that will, that will uh, uh, understand and, and ex accept this. So, and I do know, I've already been told that my two children will return to internship in 10 years because we just won't be able to get to everything and people will, will want them to go back and, and look at other, other events. So um, that's, but I won't be around. I've already been told Tom's going to leave the building before then. You're going to be in a better place, much better place. Yep. <clears throat> well, I, I'm, I've already been born uh, back on, on uh, Nomo, the water planet, and I'm 50 universal years old right now. And I've just started advising the, uh, the Federation of Planets, which consists of 20,000 planets. I've already started advising them again. Just started, I was told. So, uh, and I asked, well, will I just kind of catch up with me at 50? And I was told, no, you will start as a, as a little tadpole baby and, <laughs> and grow, your, grow up. So um, that's one of the strange things about the Earth experiment is that all of our lives uh, going on are all going on at the same time. And we can we can rewrite the past and the future. So if you if you are a good boy, a good girl, <laughs> uh, you can make things easier for for you for future lives if you work on it. Yes, and you just mentioned that about your transition on a different planet. Um, in that particular life or existence, will you remember right away um, what your contract is and uh, what you have to do on that planet, or it has to be gradual uh, and you have to work on it like you've been doing I'm, on Earth? I'm told it's almost immediately available. We are veiled from from knowing our true selves as part of this earth experiment. And I, I need to touch on that for a second. Um, creator of the universe um, wanted to see, there are four negative energies and then there are 10 positive energies. Our universe and the trillions of other universes are all exist on these 10 positive energies. And our, our creator wanted to see if the four negative energies could be worked with. And so our souls volunteered for the earth experiment. And, and as part of it, we were to be veiled because creator believes that we will eventually find uh, ways to solve problems that all these other societies with all their knowledge, because they can go back and say, well, five lives ago, uh, I solved this problem such and such a way. We can't do that. We have to solve them in new ways. So just as one little example that uh, when I did my uh, meditation this morning, um, I was reminded that the little simple paperclip um, 
had never been invented before in any of these other societies throughout the whole universe. So the paperclip was one of those first things. But but we solve all these these problems for people. That's interesting. You mentioned about the you know the free um, energy technology, which might be released this year. Um, do you see anything else major happening, like the financial system crash, political system crash? Um, anything else we should uh, look forward to? Well, I'm told you know we'll have a recession. It can be a mild or it can be a hard one. It all sort of all depends. Um, but you know, there's the Earth experiment is going to go on for seven thousand more years. So that should tell you it's it's going to work. I mean, it is working. We have we have conquered this negative energy. And when we start going out to uh, to the stars, when the explorer race goes to the stars, um, we are going to take these small bits of negativity with us, and that will help all these societies that may be millions of years ahead of this technology, but they're all they're all stuck at about 5.3, 5.4 vibrational level. And by having this negative energy bringing with us when we go to the stars starting around 3250, um, we're going to help them start um, growing again. And everybody in our universe and then the trillions of other universes will eventually all use this negative energy. So most people think that we live in a hologram, in a matrix. Is that the real definition of, of our world? What's your perception? Well, unless you want to consider that the parallel lives are holograms, they're not, they're not really holograms. They're just Earths on different frequencies. And, and, and that's awfully hard to concept for a lot of people, even though uh, there's been many TV series that, uh, you know, feature time travel and feature parallel existences. But that's, that's what, you know, it's not a, it's not a hologram. It's, it's a parallel earth. And that's, uh, and, and each of us are on a different frequency to give learning back to our souls. Yes, it's a, it's a school we have to graduate before our uh, time is up. Well, you know, you keep you keep coming back. I'm told my very last life on Earth will be in seven thousand years, where I'll be in charge of the cleanup crew because by then the Earth will be down to almost no people. And my cleanup crew will make sure the Earth goes back to its pristine look because Earth, being the gem of this universe, um, will attract tourists from not only all over our universe, but even other universes as well. And there'll be just enough negativity for people to feel it when they're, when they're on Earth. So we're the, we are the gem of, of our universe, the most beautiful planet. The creator loves variety, and that's why we have so much variety, not only 
for us, but also to help us, you know, recognize, oh, there's a bird being, or, you know, oh, there's, you know, there's an insect being. We'll, we'll know what to, uh, what they remind us of from our lives on earth. Yes. And there is, um, you know, late um, anthropologist Hank Wesselman, who wrote a trilogy about um, what he saw in the future, 5,000 years in the future. And uh, we are becoming nomads and um, the um, geography of the earth is totally changed. And again, there are a few people, um, there is no more, um, you know, um, oil, gas, homes as we know them today, power. Mm-hmm. As it's all changed. So what you are telling us right now is pretty much in line with uh, what others have seen in, in their future. Uh, what is your sixth book all about? The sixth book is called The Gentle Way with Pets and uh, Angelic Help for Your Animal Companions. So in the book, first of all, I have a really good um, uh, review of requesting benevolent outcomes and how to say benevolent prayers. And then I feature story after story sent to me from my readers in my newsletter of benevolent outcomes that they had with their pets going to vets or or choosing a, a, a pet or choosing the food and on and on and on. So lots of stories there. And then I start interviewing what we call group souls, but they're they're the same as our souls, but they just have a different interest. So as an example, there is one soul that ensouls every single dog on earth, okay? And dog soul. And there is one soul that ensouls every single feral and domesticated cat on earth. And when I ask cat soul, well, what about the lions and tigers? Oh, those are... Those are other souls. We like to share the work. So I interview all these different kinds of group souls, and they tell me where they came from, which typically is like the oldest part of the universe. Most, you know, uh, astronomers think that the universe is only 13.2 billion years old, and it's actually 25 billion. And even the James... Webb telescope that's uh, uh, within the next five years, it will be able to see farther and farther, but it won't go even as far as the universe is. It'll go about 20 billion years old, but they'll they'll have to calculate and recalculate, make sure they're not making a mistake when they tell people that. And the other thing that the James Wood, James Webb telescope will see will be this uh, this void of several million miles between our universe and the next universe over. And eventually, because there, there is this void between the, this our un- two universes, there's two others on the other side of the uh, of our universe, but we can't see them. In our night sky, we can see this other universe, but we think it's ours. But when the James Webb telescope really concentrate on on those um, galaxies, they'll see that they're completely different than our galaxies. 
Interesting. Very interesting. Lots of revelations. And um, what do you think or what information do you have about uh, the moon? There is a lot of uh, you know speculation about being um, hollow or um, military bases being settled on uh, the dark side of it. What do you know about it? There's, there is an ET base that, that is hardly um, occupied these days, but uh, there, is, there is an ET base on the other side of the moon. There's also a crashed, crashed spaceship, and I'm told that, that uh, my, my family and I will get to go visit that um, uh, during that 14 days, uh, but we will not be allowed to go on the ship because it's too dangerous too many uh, uh, pollutants or whatever are on there, plus a lot of dead bodies. It was uh, it was uh, destroyed uh, during uh, what is uh, diplomatically called the Great War. There was, I called it in the book, the Reptilian War. And uh, I, it went on for 27,000 universal years, which is 270,000 Earth years, and um, <clears throat> it lasted forever, it seemed. People would live their whole lives waking up in fear every day that there was going to be an enemy ship uh, that would suddenly appear and would destroy their sun and destroy all the planets and the billions of other of people living on those planets. So it was a, it was a nasty war. Well, Thanks to this little old amphibian who uh, uh, suggested that um, they could, why, why not offer as part of the Earth experiment that 10% of the souls could be reptilian. And the reptilians were so hated and despised and, and they said, oh, they'd never, they'd never accept it anyway that it went 450 more universal years. Finally, we were slowly but surely losing the war. And, and they said, okay, we'll try it. And so they offered it to the reptilians and they accepted it. So 10% of the souls having lives on earth are of reptilian origin. And are they um, shapeshifters or, or not? No, they're no. just regular old people. Uh, one of my friends who's, transitioned um uh was had a reptilian so he loves snakes and lizards and all sorts of things so uh but he he was a nice guy tom thank you very much for uh this fascinating information we're approaching the end of the interview any final thoughts well i, I encourage people to go to my website which is www.thegentlewaybook dot com okay i only thought i was going to write one book so i didn't put books and and um uh you can sign up for my newsletter on the very first open page or and or you can go to articles and news where all my newsletters since 2007 are archived so you can see my hits and misses and and uh because i tell everybody i'm i'm at most around 80 90% accuracy, and that's working on it a whole lot. So, you know, I'm not perfect, but I, you know, when people send in questions, I'll do my best to, to get an answer for you.
Once again, thank you very much. Fascinating uh, interview. I have to um, to watch it again for sure, maybe twice, to absorb all the the information you you provided us with. Uh, so sure. thank you. Thank you. Appreciate and, you having. And uh, to my guests, thank you for uh, watching it, share it, like it. Uh, get a free copy of my book when you visit my website. And until next time, love and gratitude.